So today we are starting a new series called Life Hacks, and we're going to look at four different points in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to start with what Jesus says about anger. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. And truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny." I want to speak today about how to handle your anger. It's really difficult to live a full life in London in 2019 and not experience any anger. To feel angry from time to time is almost like it's part of what it means to be human. Hassles come along, frustrations build up. Every now and again, things get to you, people get to you, situations get under your skin and you can feel the blood pressure rising. And no matter how calm you are by nature, it's almost impossible to live a normal life and never feel angry. And even if you could, it wouldn't necessarily be a holy or a healthy way to live. We live in an angry time. There's really constructive anger, what might be called righteous anger. When, when, when we see stuff that's wrong and we want it to change, we see people that are harmed and we want them to be helped. But there's also kind of a destructive anger. Um, when we lash out, when people criticize us, when we get angry at things that happen to us. Studies show that to be angry all the time can be really dangerous for your health, actually, in all sorts of ways. It has negative impacts on your body. But to repress your anger, to pretend that your anger doesn't exist at all, is also quite harmful and can harm your emotional state, even your psychiatric state as well. So if, what do we do? How do we respond? Well, Jesus is remarkably balanced when it comes to anger. He warns how dangerous it is here, um, that it's serious, that it can destroy relationships, that it can cause you to do something you'll regret, that it can even impair your relationship with God. And Jesus demonstrated extraordinary self-control through his life. When he was provoked, when he was criticized, when he was mocked, when he was attacked, he responded with gentleness and with grace. But Jesus also got angry. Angry at evil, angry at death, angry at people who abused their power and led people astray. There are things in the world that we should get angry at. It can be right to get angry. But to be angry with the right person, to the right extent, for the right reason, at the right time, is so difficult. It's almost impossible. So how can we ensure our anger kind of energizes us to do the right thing and doesn't end up destroying what we long to build with our lives? Well, the first thing we see is how important is to recognize what a challenge anger is. This is right in the middle of Jesus' um, kind of longest sermon on how to live your life well. And it's right at the core. He could have taught on anything, and he taught on this. And he kind of says, you know, you've heard it was said to you, you shall not murder. And you kind of think, yes, that's a good point. And then he says, but if 
I tell you, if anyone's angry with your brother or sister, they'll be subject to judgment. You kind of think, have you met my brother? Um, it's going to be quite difficult. But why does Jesus care so much about anger? It's because actually murder and anger are kind of related in some way. Murder is kind of often the result of an anger that has gripped hold of the heart. It kind of has the same root as anger. And anger is really dangerous. Anger is like starting a fire in a forest. It's quite easy to start, but you never quite know where it's going to end up, the destruction it will cause. Anger can get out of control really quickly. You can start angry about something, thinking you're quite justified in that anger, and then before you know it, you've lost your self-control. You've lost your temper, and you've actually done something you really need to ask forgiveness for. Anger can be like a temporary madness. You kind of say things you don't really mean. Sometimes things you deep down know aren't true. Um, and you do things you really don't mean to do. And anger manifests itself in different ways for different people. Some people have a tendency to what I would call hot anger. So if you're like that, you, your emotions are quite close to the surface in your life. And if someone does something to make you angry, um, you let them know very, very quickly. Um, they don't ever, no one ever has to ask if you're upset or angry about something because you tell them, and you tell them quickly. Um, that's one way of responding. Other people have more like cold anger. Like you, you kind of hold your anger quite far down below the surface. And you know, if, if you're really angry about something and someone says to you, are you okay, are you angry about that? You say, no. Um, and inside you're thinking, if they have to ask, they'll never understand me. And you kind of hold it that way a little bit more, hot anger or cold anger. But actually, the, the outworking is still the same. You know, you can scream at someone and say, I wish you were dead. Um, you're dead to me. That's one way of responding. But maybe if you're more tended towards cold anger, you just cut the same person out of your life. You just back away from them. You put distance between them. And you kind of wish you weren't there, they weren't there at all. You know, one is visible, the other is almost invisible, but they both involve kind of punishing people and pushing them away from you. And the reason that can happen is because anger kind of simplifies and objectifies. When you're angry, um, the stress hormone cortisol is released in your body, and that makes things very simple. Uh, it simplifies your thinking, like it, it, because that's the kind of hormone that helps you to fight. And it's not helpful when you're about to fight to be thinking about all the pros and cons of the situation. You know, am I right or are they right? You know, you just think, I'm right, they're wrong, I'm good, they're bad. It's not helpful to think, you know, I wonder how their day's been, are they having a difficult week? If you're going to have a fight, that's not going to help you. So cortisol just kind of drains all that stuff out and you think you're seeing things with great clarity. And that's why you can start to think, you know, I'm right, they're wrong. I'm smart, they're an idiot. Um, I'm good, they're bad. I'm wise, they're a fool. So how do you respond to that when you feel yourself starting to get angry? Well, the first thing is to kind of reframe it. If anger simplifies and objectifies, we need to contextualize and humanize. So I was thinking about this the other day. We've recently moved house, and uh, there's a lot of life admin to sort out when you move house. And one of my jobs was to cancel our Wi-Fi and TV contract. Um, and it was just coming up for renewal, so it cost us a lot of money if we didn't cancel it in the next few days. And so I phoned up this company. Obviously, you wouldn't say which company it is. It rhymes with Merge NVIDIA. And um, 
phoned them up, and they were very nice on the phone, and I said, you know, they said, have you got your name? I gave them my name. They said, you got your address? I said, yeah, this is my address. Have you got the box number? Yes. Uh, what's your email? I told them my email, and then they said, how can we help you today? And I said, I'd like to cancel my account, please. And they said, oh, do you have your five-digit security code? And I said, what? And they said, your five-digit security code. Uh, we gave it to you when you started the account to protect your identity. And I said, that was five years ago. And they said, yeah, but we posted it out to you in a letter. I was like looking around these boxes, thinking, I don't think I have that to hand right now. And they said, oh, well, we can't cancel your account without your five-digit security code. And we need to protect your identity. And I said, but it's me. <laughs> I just gave you my details. And they said, yeah, well, you know, it could be um, someone accessing your identity. And I said, do people often phone up to fraudulently cancel a Wi-Fi <laughs> contract? Like, what possible benefit could they get? And they said, well, sir, we can't help with that, but we can send you out a new code by post. It'll be with you in two weeks. I'm like, two weeks? That's far too late. Our contract will renew in two weeks. Um, and they said, sorry, I can't help you. And I said, well, look, start to get really quite agitated by this point. And I said, well, here's the thing. When I started this account, you didn't ask for any proof of my identity or anything like that. You took my money and you started my account. Now I want to cancel it and you're making it a little bit harder than applying for a passport. And that's, that's slightly frustrating. Um, and then I thought, I'm seeing it really clearly now. There's like, there must be some kind of dodgy motive going on here. So I said, maybe your motive isn't to protect the security of my identity. Maybe it's to increase your profit margin. The silence at the other end of the phone. But I was warming to my theme, so I said, you know, just, just out of interest, how many additional payments across the UK do you extract from people who have forgotten their five-digit security code? At that moment, Beth, my wife, walked in, and she gave me a look, raised her eyebrows, and to be honest, it's a look I've learned to trust and fear. And... Um, <laughs> And I thought, what am I doing? It was enough just to make me pause, take a step back, snap out of it. I'm not a campaigner on behalf of consumer rights. You know, I'm just getting angry about my situation. There's nothing actually that Maureen and Bradford can do to help my situation right now. She didn't decide the policy. You know, why am I getting angry with her? So I backed away and I said, look, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for getting angry. I'm sorry for getting frustrated. It's not your fault. You don't decide the policy. You're just trying to do your job well. Please forgive me. And she said, that's okay. And then we had a nice chat. <laughs> and then she let me cancel my Wi-Fi contract. <laughs> so when you're... So when you're angry, one of the things you can do is contextualize. Actually, the situation is normally more complicated or more contextual than you realize. But the other thing you can do is humanize. Now, if you're, if, if, if you're kind of, one of the things cortisol does is it reduces your empathy with people. When you're under the stress of getting angry, you suddenly lose your empathy for all those around you. So one of the things you can do is to think, wait a minute, this person in front of me is still a person. They still bear the image of God. They're still someone Jesus loves. I need to reframe. Um, and my school, um, it was quite rough. And there were lots of fights, actually. And the easiest way to have a fight was in the changing room because there wasn't really teachers around. No one would stop the fight. And um, there was a guy um, who tried to start a fight with me in the changing room one time. It was really annoying. And he started insulting me, trying to provoke me. And I just kind of ignored him. I thought, oh, forget it. And, um, and, then, and then he punched me in the face, um, which you know, hurt a little. It wasn't very painful. It was a little bit annoying, um, but I kind of ignored that. And then he actually punched me a second time in the face, and then I got really angry. And I kind of grabbed him in a headlock. I kind of managed to pin his body against the wall and push him down. And I was just about to start 
Oh, you all came to church, didn't you? Sorry. Um, so so I just, just in case you have any, I was just about to start punching him in the face. And then I suddenly, I looked at him and I thought, my heart's not really in this. And I suddenly remembered, me and this guy went to infant school together. And actually, when we were five years old, we had a play date. And, um, and I was sitting there looking at this guy thinking, I don't want to punch him in the face. What am I doing? This is ridiculous. Like, what, why, why, I don't hate this guy. Why am I getting angry? He's just on something stupid. And actually, I kind of then remembered you know, our lives, we'd been quite close friends, and then our lives had gone on kind of divergent paths. And he um, had had a family tragedy uh, when he was quite young. It really impacted him, had a real impact on his life. And, um, and then a few years after that, he kind of got caught up with this gang. And so in that moment, I said, what am I doing? You know, he's just, there's no point in this. So I kind of let him out of the headlock, kind of pulled away. And um, he kind of shouted at me a bit, and I kind of walked away. And I saw him later in the day, and I said, you know, I'm so sorry for getting you in a headlock. <laughs> you know? And um, he said, I'm sorry for punching you. And, uh, and I said, yeah, I'd, you know, I, I know we had that play date that one time. You know? And he was like, yeah, you know. <laughs> and, um, and I said, you know, obviously I don't want to fight you, you know, because um, I know you. He said, yeah. He said, the only thing is, all the serious guys in our year... Um, I want to I wanna kind of get respect with them. So could you just tell everyone that the reason you didn't want to fight me was because you were scared of me? And I was like, okay, if that helps. You know, so, so, but, but it's really helpful to humanize the situation. And I found that one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in my life is to soften my hard heart and make me more aware of just how much I need God's grace. So when people make me angry from time to time, to remember that you know, they're no worse than me. They need God's grace just as much as I need God's grace. You know, Jesus says, if you come to worship and you realize you've got hate in your heart, some, something between you and another person, make peace. Then come back and worship. And I tell you, I find that one of the hardest verses in the Bible. But it shows you how important our day-to-day relationships are when we think about how we relate to God. Anger will tempt you to depersonalize people around you. But remember, the person who makes you most angry in your life right now, I don't know who it is, like a a boss or a colleague or a ex or a politician or you know, that person, you know, they're not the enemy. You know, our battle's not with flesh and blood. That person is just flesh and blood. Our battle's with the powers, the principalities of this dark age. You know, don't focus your anger on people. Focus your anger on the problems. Don't get angry with people because they're just the same as each of us. So we can contextualize and we can humanize. But then we also need to redirect our anger. You know, anger isn't necessarily a bad thing. It can be a, a good, a holy response to injustice, to when people are facing um, really painful circumstances, to when people take advantage of other people. Augustine said that the twin daughters of hope our anger and courage. Anger at the way the world is and courage to do something about it, to change it. The reality is if you never get angry, you've probably lost hope. But if you hold on to anger in your heart for too long, it will consume all your love and all you're left with is hate. So how can we kind of direct our anger to good ends? Well, as Tim Keller says, anger is energy to release, to defend something you love. We get angry when something we love is threatened. And often if you follow your anger, if you dig into your anger, if you ask yourself, what am I really getting angry about here? You'll find something you love. 
When I was 19, my little brother Paul got into a fight on the way home from school. It was one of those kind of 50-50 fights. He had a bruise or two, but he was fine. And he came back, and I was like, you know, you win some, you lose some, no biggie. But when one of my older sisters heard about it, she drove an hour down the motorway, left work early, came into the house, came up to my face and said, what are you doing here? And I said, hi, nice to see you. How's it going? She said, get out, find the guy. I was like, Suze, it was a 50-50 fight. Calm down. But she was so angry because she wanted to defend our little brother. And she really loves our little brother. And she wanted to act on his behalf. I, mean, I think she loves me too, although she was quite happy to push me out of the door <laughs> into harm's way. But, um, but what, normally we get angry when something we love is threatened. If you follow your anger, you'll find your love. And the challenge is, I realize that lots of the times I get angry, I get angry because of something that happens to me. I get angry to defend myself. I get angry to defend my pride, my interest. And self-righteous anger doesn't tend to be righteous. And I think sometimes that's because my loves are out of line. Because you know, I'm too protective of my own interests when I could be focusing on other people. And sometimes that's why things get disproportionate. You know, if someone insults you, you're still angry a week later. It's because, you know, actually, you really care about the image of yourself in front of other people. Why sometimes if someone makes you wait for a long time and doesn't apologize, you get angry because, you know, you like your status and you don't like the idea of someone undermining it. Why someone gets promoted over you at work, you can get really angry. It can really affect you because ultimately you love your career and you can feel as though it's threatened. And the question I ask myself is, why am I really angry? And obviously, it's partly because of what's happened, partly because of what happened, partly because of what that person did, but also it's because of actually what I think that means about something I love, something I care about. Yeah, someone might be rude about me, but it doesn't matter that much. It doesn't matter as much as I think. I get angry because something I love is threatened, and I feel I have to defend that at all costs. And so often that thing is me, my interest, my ego, my pride. So I want to redirect my anger. And to do that, I have to remember, I think, that there is one who loves me more than I can ever understand, who has good purposes for my life, who's committed to his will for my life, to realize that this world needs people to speak up on behalf of those who are voiceless, to stand up on behalf of the oppressed, to take the focus off myself and focus on other people, to realize actually that I don't have to defend myself because I've got a Lord who fights for me and actually that his purposes in my life can't ultimately be frustrated that though someone might have done something to harm me, their ability to do that is nothing compared to the power of God to restore me. And to the extent I receive his love, the extent the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into my heart, that kind of empowers me to redirect my love from myself to him, to take my focus off myself and fix it to Jesus, to get angry, not in my own defense, but to target my anger on behalf of things that really matter. At evil that destroys relationships, at injustice, and to do so in a way that it doesn't become destructive, but actually becomes constructive because it's inspired by Jesus' love for me. Jesus, who loved you so much, 
he came into this world, this world full of anger and hate, and came face to face with our anger and responded with love. He was willing to bear the anger of heaven on his shoulders, to bear the unjust anger of the world and the just anger of heaven in his body on the cross so we might know peace with God. You see, holy anger doesn't act to destroy relationships, but to restore them. God's anger at evil and sin didn't result in our destruction, but in our redemption. Don't let the anger you feel from time to time destroy your relationships. Let it remind you of their value. You get angry often because you love people. Remind you of the value of those relationships and energize you to restore them. You see, there's an opportunity. It's an angry place in our world right now. People get angry so much. Sometimes we have to own our own anger. We have to say, actually, God, I need your help. I want to repent of all these things that have been making me angry. Repent of maybe the words I've spoken. Step away from some of the situations that have been getting to me. Take a pause. You know, sometimes when I get angry, I realize that one of the things I most need is, you know, get some exercise, have a nice meal, and get some sleep. Sometimes that's one of the most holiest things you can do. But then to start a new day and say, God, I want it to be different. I want to be gentle. I want to be patient. I want to be kind. I want to be loving. I want to be full of self-control. I don't want anger to get the better of me today. I want to get angry at things, yeah, that really matter. But I want to be patient and gentle in respect of everything else. But God, I know I can't do it in my own strength. I need your help. And that's when the Holy Spirit rushes in and fills us afresh and says, we're in a partnership on this. Let's do it together. In Jesus' name, amen.